everybody, welcome back for the 11th time in this course to my dining room chalkboard remote instruction pandemic classroom. It is day 56 on the self-quarantine count-up. That is exactly eight weeks of self-quarantine and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. <sighs> Starting to feel a little bit confined. Uh, I guess now I know what my limit is. About eight weeks before I started to feel confined because I've been feeling pretty good up to this point. Um, this is the end of week six of our term, the second lecture of week six, the 11th uh, lecture overall of the class. Uh, we have, uh, we're now just now getting kind of rolling into the meat of the critics of liberalism, and we have a number of uh, different places to go. And uh, today we're going to look at the communitarian critique of liberal individualism. Uh, the idea of liberal individualism, to review that, is relatively straightforward and simple. The idea is that uh, society is composed of separate individuals who, although clearly society and other people have influences on us and uh, traditions and culture and family uh, and uh, the community we grow up in, the nation, uh, the time and place, that all of these are influences on the individual, but that the individual is the primary unit, that society is uh, while an influence should, should be fundamentally seen as a collection of separate individuals and not seeing individuals as the sort of singular manifestations of some kind of societal or communal uh, existence. Um, and as a result, society is seen as partly a helper to us, uh, and especially family because Human beings don't arrive in the world like baby horses who can just land on their feet and run away. Uh, <clears throat> and I know there's a little more to being a baby horse than that, but it's kind of almost instantaneous. Human beings need a lot of cultivation, and so clearly the family and communities are an important support for us, not just in our early lives, but throughout our lives. But uh, liberal individualism sees society as, in a big way, a threat to the individual. Um, and uh, the idea of saying the individual is primary and uh, individual sovereignty is the essential value of the world, right? And that is the, that's the main claim of, uh, of liberals, that the sovereign individual is the, is the sort of end-all, be-all. It's not the only value, but it is, in fact, when there's a conflict, it's the primary value. Uh, and what that means in terms of uh, both... Um, uh, or. It, let me start again. What that means in terms of limitations is that liberalism seems to preclude a certain set of actions on the part of a democratic community when those actions impinge in a, on individual sovereignty in a way that doesn't merely support that individual's rights. In other words, uh, the set of actions that society can justifiably impose on individuals is purely in relation to the harm principle, uh, according to the, to the idea of liberal individualism. So limited government, not just limited government, but actually, as Mill pointed out, uh, we also want uh, a society, we want social values that uh, respect and actually even admire and reverence uh, the sovereign individual and even the eccentric. Uh, in the economic sphere, uh, privileging uh, individual freedom of exchange and accumulation of wealth over certain uh, societal uh, goals or community goals in terms of uh, directing the economy or just redistributing wealth. 
So it's limited government, it's a free market economy, possibly regulated, it is an individualistic society, it's a nonconformist society. So that's what liberal individualism asks for. And uh, when you put it in that positive way, it sounds really great, right? We, have, we, we basically are letting people decide on what their own conception of the good is and how, as long as they don't harm others, uh, and get in other people's way, um, how uh, they can, it's up to them to decide how they're going to pursue their conception of the good and how they're going to even evaluate and reevaluate and transform uh, and change their lives. That's all up to the individual. And our political, economic, and social systems, rules, and values and ideas should be oriented towards supporting and respecting the sovereign individual. That sounds great. Um, and that's the positive case for liberalism. Uh, the problem is, is that if you don't look at what that leaves out of our account of human life, if we don't look at what that leaves out of our account of what is politically, economically, and socially possible, um, then we don't see what liberalism is not allowing. <clears throat> and the critics, of course, are... That's a big part of what the critics of liberalism are going to be doing, and communitarianism today focuses mostly on uh, criticisms of liberalism. Uh, not that communitarians themselves don't have positive ideas and a positive construction, but essentially what communitarians have a problem with is the limitations on a democratically constituted community. Uh, what a democratically constituted community is not allowed to do. So I'll write that down. Okay, so liberalism limits the actions and goals of a democratically constituted community. The goals of a democratically constituted community are singular, or it's, it's just a goal. The goal is the uh, protection of individual rights, and that involves a variety of activities. Um, it involves defining and enforcing uh, the uh, boundary of the harm principle, and the defining part is actually a democratic uh, action, right? Like because the harm principle, where where the boundary gets set, is. Smoking, uh, is it a purely individual thing or is it a social harm? And if it's a social harm, then we can ban it in the name of individual freedom. And if it's not, then we can't ban it except in the name of doing uh, paternalism that's making people do something that's good for themselves, which liberal society does not allow. So where do we put that boundary? That's why democracy is actually important. Um, democracy is also seen as important as an external check on the enforcement power of the government. So uh, the, the idea of maintaining, first of all defining, and then maintaining the harm principle boundary, um, that activity involves constituting a pretty powerful authority, the government, and that history shows us is a dangerous tool that can be forged, and uh, while it's forged to protect the individual, it can easily be turned against the individual. So, so it's a necessity, but it then creates a new threat uh, that that uh, potentially attacks the sovereign individual. And so democracy is seen as an avenue for collectively deciding where the harm principle is and as an external check. And the only goal of the political society uh, is to make sure that individuals' rights are upheld. It limits the actions. As soon as you limit the goals, of course you limit the actions. Though, as I pointed out uh, in, early in the course, 
doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of things that a, a purely liberal government can't still do because defining and maintaining that boundary and then dealing with the conflicts when people transgress the boundary or when people disagree about where the boundary was put, um, that involves an awful lot of uh, actions. There's a lot, there is a, potentially an awful lot for the government to do. Even when you value the concept of limited government, that doesn't mean that you're shrinking the government to be this tiny little thing. Um, it just means that its domain of action is very narrowly prescribed. And uh, the same thing is it can be said for um, uh, society and for the economy. Th th there are rules for the economy that will uphold the sovereign individual in uh, its economic interactions, but those rules have to all be oriented towards the goal of maintaining freedom of exchange and uh, um, protecting the accumulation of wealth. Um, and society too, society, uh, the power of society to, to demand conformity and obedience and uniformity uh, and unity is, is essentially non-existent, right? In, in terms of society, the expectation is a tolerance of diversity. Um, and uh, there's even then a request for a, a, a reverence for or an admiration for diversity, but the only requirement is really toleration of diversity. And of course, I've talked about this and I won't dwell on it too much here, but what do you do about tolerating the intolerant? Do you have to tolerate people whose views of the world, whose conception of the good entails narrowing uh, other people's uh, set of choices to a, to a smaller one or to a singular one? That's a tricky one, but in general, you have to tolerate the intolerant as long as they don't cross the harm principle boundary. That's part of a diverse society is accepting that people are going to be intolerant and unaccepting and that their conception of the good, which they conceived of, is that there's one path to live life, and when other people are deviating from that path, they're gonna advocate for people to go to that particular path. Um, so, communitarianism has the problem that there are other actions and goals that a democratically constituted community could easily want to pursue, and Liberalism seems to uh, preclude those things from being acted upon. So if a democratically constituted community wants to enact a regulation that enforces some kind of cultural norm, right? Like, I mean, just think of a holiday, right? A, uh, a, you're, you're not allowed to work on a particular holiday or things are uh, closed. It's a national holiday that's celebrated um, and there are certain regulations around that holiday. Uh, that is a way of saying that we, the people of this democratic constituted community, are going to have as a goal some kind of collective cultural celebration, some kind of acknowledgement and reverence for uh, our communal cultural values that surround this particular holiday, um, and could even require some kind of positive action on the part of individuals to contribute towards this celebration. Liberals would say it's great if people want to voluntarily associate in a way that creates a voluntarily collective celebration or reverence or admiration, uh, but, but public power cannot get into that endeavor and you cannot enforce that. Communitarians are, gonna, are essentially asking, well, why not? Why should we limit democracy to defining the harm principle boundary and checking the power of the government to make sure that it, all it does is enforce 
the rules that come up to uh, create the boundary of the home principle and not let the government do other things. There are other social goals, there are other community values that could be uh, collectively decided on, de excuse me, democratically decided on, and then collectively advanced. Um, now, there's, uh, that's the soft side version, that's the positive cell of, of what communitarianism is, and what liberals automatically respond is, yeah, but what you're talking about, you can make it sound nice, you're talking about tyranny. You're talking about making people do something that they don't want to do just because a larger group of people uh, are able to create a rule or some kind of uh, process or some kind, some kind of uh, collective project. And uh, you can call that community action. You can call that uh, the public good. You can call that uh, uh, providing uh, social benefits to everybody. But what it ends up being is it, it, it's, it's tyranny. It may not be tyranny of the sort where people are rounded up and put in jail for their views, but it's tyranny, right? Um, not letting people open their store on Sunday because society has decided that it's a good idea to have a day of rest and it's a good idea to have a day that's set aside for uh, spirituality and for quiet meditative repose uh, and family and community time that the hustle and bustle of a, uh, um, a mercantile society is collectively agreed and collectively not by every single member but by the democratically constituted community to be uh, put on hold for a day and uh, again there's always the positive way of putting it and we can see that like yeah if, if that's if that is a societal value and you can make a good case for it, that it benefits most people and, and the vast majority of people actually support it, then why should the democratically constituted community not have the ability to do that? The liberal response is because that disrespects the fundamental value of individual sovereignty. You can ask people and uh, if they decide to you know, voluntarily you know, close their uh, business down, Great. If, if they don't, then you can't use the power of the government, you can't use the power of society through censure uh, and disapproval to uh, either force people directly, physically force, or through social shaming into closing their business on Sunday. Uh, communitarians will come back and just say, but why not? Right? And, here's, and, and then they'll follow up, and here's, where, here's what the critique is. The reason why you're saying we can't do that is because you're making a foundational, pure, normative claim that the uh, value of individual sovereignty is the, uh, is the fundamental value. And that claim cannot be, that ca that claim cannot be upheld. In fact, th this is part of the critique that we see in both of the readings for today. Um, not only can that critique not be upheld, that critique seems to, or excuse me, that, that critique, that claim that uh, the individual sovereignty is the primary universal value that needs to be respected no matter when it comes to conflicts with other values. Um, but that goes against the liberal metaphysics in general, which says there is no true, uh, no pure normative standpoint. There's no true conception of the good. There's no one way to look at the universe of human life, um, except for this one way, right? It's, it asks, liberalism asks for that exception, that there is one thing that at all costs cannot give. Because if liberals say, well, yeah, you know, conceptions of the good vary, and I guess what that also means is that societal conceptions of the good can vary as much as individual conceptions of the good. So if, 
if a society accepts the idea that uh, there needs to be a day of uh, meditative restfulness that is given over to some kind of collective uh, spiritual practice, then why is that any worse than any other one? You can't stop that from happening because to stop that you would have to have a pure normative standpoint that says there is a correct way of existing in the world. So the, the problem is, is that both sides here are asking for uh, incommensurable things. Uh, and we can, I can just go back and forth. We can bat this argument back and forth where liberals are saying, yeah, but, and then communitarians say, yeah, but, and I've just, I think, gone through the whole uh, line of yeah, buts. What, how do communitarians foresee the ability to kind of break this, uh, essentially back and forth uh, standoff? Um, the Wolf reading, which I gave you, this is, the, this is my original copy, I really actually believe this was printed in the 1960s, um, I got this at a used bookstore a long time ago, but the Wolf reading, he's kind of one of the founding communitarians, um, he, the first chapter in this, the chapter on liberty, uh, he, this is where he does his critique, and his critique is that what we have in our dominant understanding of the world, of society and social psychology and human behavior is we actually have a collectivist approach um, to sociology. So we have a collectivist socio sociology and psychology. We seek to explain the things that we see in human society in collective terms, in large-scale terms, in, in structural terms, in psychology, in terms of things that are uh, imperatives that are built into us uh, from evolution, um, in, in terms of kind of these uh, uh, broad laws of human behavior. What we don't do is explain, right? So this is explanation. We don't seek to explain society as simply an aggregate of individual choices. But liberalism seeks to govern society as though it were just an aggregate of individual choices. Um, and that contradiction demonstrates uh, one of the poverties of liberalism, which is that uh, you know, liberal sociologists will explain, or sociologists in a liberal society will explain uh, human behaviors and outcomes as a result of social structures. And yet, when it comes to the values of society, uh, the individual takes top priority. And so that friction between sociological explanation and psychological explanation and uh, normative or ideological uh, um, uh, goals or commitments it rankles the communitarians. It, the, it rankles Wolf particularly. Uh, the idea that we have a collectivist sociology but an individualist uh, political philosophy seems to be problematic. Um, and it's also a way of saying that what liberalism is doing is building a political perspective around a fiction, right? It's a fiction that individuals really are as sovereign as liberals say they are slash could be, 
right? Um, and I've, I've indicated uh, multiple times that liberals aren't so naive as to think that their picture of human nature is the way that humans just are, that it's automatic and self-enforcing. It's a project, right? Cultivating and uh, maintaining the sovereign individual is actually a pretty big project. It doesn't just happen automatically that people grow into sovereign individuals. It doesn't happen automatically that people develop expressive and instrumental rationality. Those things need to be taught, cultivated, nurtured so that they do exist. And liberals are saying that the reason why we do this is because they are, that's valuable. They're the, the, these are the good things. They don't happen automatically, but uh, they're good, and so we should cultivate them, right? Um, it's like saying, well, yeah, you know, there are, there are really amazing uh, tasting foods that don't just grow in nature. We have to create hybrids, we have to cultivate them, we have to protect them, we have to fertilize them, and then we can get these things that are better, that are superior, right? Like apples. Uh, in nature, uh, apples are extremely uh, diverse. Some apples uh, of the same species taste really good, a different tree they taste really bad. So if we want all apples of the same species to taste really good, what we have to do is we have to graft the branches from the good tasting apple trees onto other trunks so that, that all of the, say, the Golden Delicious apples taste at the height of what Golden Delicious apples can taste like. And that's the same thing uh, that we're doing in a liberal society. We're saying, here are the best traits of humanity. Here are the most uh, uh, reverential traits. Here, here's us at our best. So let's make that happen. Uh, the Wolf's critique is you're actually taking a claim about what human beings should be that's at odds with how we seem to understand the world. Human beings are not really that way. And I think that uh, in addition to saying, well, why are we basing our normative claims on a set of uh, principles that are different than our explanatory claims, I think that what Wolf is also pointing out is, uh, and other communitarians are pointing out, is that the uh, individualistic, socially separated, uh, atomistic, human life is in fact not the highest and best version of ourselves. Even if we could cultivate it, we're actually cultivating the wrong thing. That the sovereign individual falls short of what we as human beings could be when we are being our best. That actually our social nature, which we build into our explanations, and which is hardwired into our evolutionary psychology, our social nature is not something that we should be seeking to transcend. Uh, through the cultivation of the, of the rational individual. Our social nature is not just true of us, it's actually a good thing. And that when we build a society around atomized individuals, and then the term atomized is usually used as a, as a criticism, right? To, to say like, people are just separate from each other and they're, meant, they're kept separate. They're, they're, they are essentially enforcedly separated. That th this notion, and it's being done in the name of what is considered to be uh, a pure normative standpoint, which is that the sovereign individual is the, is the uh, primary value of human society, all of, of all human societies, not just of certain ones, uh, that we're essentially having this atomized, potentially alienating, individualistic, individu individualistic society rammed down our throats, and there's no good metaphysical foundation for doing so. Um, we could be so much more that, that there's a richness to human existence that comes from uh, not only our connection with other people, because uh, liberals will acknowledge that, right? That's, but they, they would say, well, our connection with other people have to all be a result of, of, of uh, free exchange and free choices. But 
Uh, there's a richness that comes from connecting with other people in this fundamental way where we share traditions and cultural norms and uh, where we see our collective action as more than just exchanges. Um, that the liberal view is too purely transactional. It, it narrows human interaction to one type of, uh, of connection, which is voluntary exchange. And whether that voluntary exchange is an economic voluntary exchange or whether it's some kind of social exchange, that the transactional nature of liberal society is problematic and it's definitely not inspiring. And what it does is it cuts us off, it limits us from having a richer set of connections. And it, what it really does in a huge way is it, by limiting the democratic constituted community, it truncates democracy in a really uh, like sad way. Like it, it limits what a democratically constituted community can do in such a way that, of course, that democratically constituted community is not inspiring at all, right? Why are voter turnout rates so low? Why is political engagement so low? Because the full richness of what a democratic community could be is denied to uh, in a liberal individualist, individualistic society. So, communitarians are not asking to tear down the uh, liberal society and rebuild it on a collectivist line. Um, that, I think, is often seen as the, uh, that's a counter critique that's made of, of communitarianism, I think often by liberals themselves who say, well, if we're not going to protect individual sovereignty, what we're going to have is we're going to have some kind of collectivist tyranny. Now, that, and I think that that's, you know, for, because Rousseau is kind of, a, if you're thinking about Rousseau as I'm saying this stuff, you're, that's definitely right. Um, Rousseau is a kind of a proto-communitarian, and we know that the general will can become a tool of tyranny. We know that historically, even just looking at Rousseau's uh, ideas, the, you know, his own words, forcing people to be free, sounds like, oh, okay, there's a, there's a level of tyranny that's built right into the theory, and then when it gets taken and put into history, like in the French Revolution, we can see that that tyranny actually does sprout quite easily in that very fertile soil for it. But communitarians are saying, we're not saying that the individual has to be submerged in society. What we're saying is that this limit is too narrow and confining for what human life really is like. So we're gonna, the, the idea of communitarianism is to um, soften up this limit, right? And say, we can admit other goals to our social constructions, to our economic system, uh, to our uh, political system, and to our social values. We can open up the set of possible actions that don't violate our fundamental prescriptions. Um, but that doesn't mean we're flipping things so that now we have this collectivist, centrally planned economy or this tyrannical uh, one-party government. It is still, and democracy is, is a really important thing, uh, it is still a democratically constituted community but we're going to soften up those boundaries of what limits it. Now, I want to read, I'm going to read a couple quotes today. Um, here is, uh, this is from page 194 of Wolf. This is the very end of the book. Um, a society politically organized as a rational, deliberative dialogue, collectively cherishing its culture and traditions, and engaged in productive enterprises which are collectively enjoyed in themselves as well as for their products, can truly be said to have and to pursue a public interest. In such a society, needless to say, men will continue to have a full complement of private interests, many of which may conflict with one another, and the satisfaction of which may bear little or no relation to the public good. 
The public interest I have sketched is not intended to eclipse or supersede private interest, but rather to complement and create them. So there, will, there, there is still room for the sovereign individual, but what Wolf is asking for is for the sovereign individual to take up less space to actually make room for a public interest, a public good. Now, this whole chapter on community, you might have been reading this and you might not have even gotten to this part. I will, I will admit that the approach is very bizarre because what Wolf is really trying to do in this chapter, in, in I would say sort of the most dry and academic -y sort of way, is he's trying to argue that values are not purely individual and private. He's arguing that there are such things as interpersonal, he calls it interpersonal, we could also call it intersubjective, uh, and some people call it co-created values. And again, he's not saying that all values are interpersonal or intersubjective or co-created. Um, there are certain things that are just private interest. There are certain pieces of our conception of the good that just does come purely from us. He's really just making an argument that it's a logical possibility that these things do exist. And partly he's making that uh, argument because a lot of liberals claim that intersubjective or interpersonal values, community values, a common good, a public interest, whatever term you might use, that's actually, I'll put these up here. These are all essentially the same term different ways of putting the same concepts. Wolf is arguing that these are a logical possibility, largely because liberals are saying they're not. They don't even make sense um, conceptually. And then what liberals are also saying is that even if there were, even if there was a public uh, good or a public interest, that pursuing that forcibly is going to undermine our fundamental sovereignty of the individual, that we can't force people to pursue public interest. If, let's say one exists. We can ask people to contribute to it, but unless it actually maintains the uh, boundary of the harm principle, we can't force them to do it, or we are disrespecting the most important part of them, which is their individual sovereignty. Wolf is pointing out that one, these things could exist. Two, if they could exist, they actually could be pretty inspiring. And three, we don't have to obliterate the sovereign individual in order to be able to acknowledge and make room for the common good of the public interest. Um, he says, he goes on to say, uh, nothing I've said thus far can be construed as an argument for effective, productive, and rational community. Um, nevertheless, and I'm dot, 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 nevertheless, it is my hope that once men are persuaded, humans, let's put it that way, you sexist, that once humans are persuaded of the possibility of aspiring beyond the liberal goals of distributive justice and the satisfaction of private interests, they will find themselves drawn to the ideals of community. And I think that's where he's, the, the title, The Poverty of Philosophy, or Poverty of Liberalism, he's asking us to say, you know, liberalism doesn't have a very rich or inspiring or compelling vision of society or, or, or human life. And it is, it, it's not very compelling. It's kind of impoverished because it's so narrow, because it limits what we can do collectively so sternly and, and in the service of a singular value. Um, and so, I, so one of the things that I think that communitarians are asking for is not a collectivist flip. They're not asking to, for us to see ourselves as primarily social beings 
who have only our, our best and only meaning through our connection to and our ties to and our similarities to others. He's not asking for, and communitarians in general are not asking for some kind of collectivist tyranny that submerges our, uh, us into the general will. Rousseau does seem to be asking for that. And I think that's one of the reasons why Rousseau is merely a proto-communitarian and not necessarily kind of a, the first good example of it. Because Rousseau does seem to be saying that only by embracing the general will do we actually become this kind of uh, noble creature that is potential within us. But we have to give up our particular will in order, to, in order to do so. We have to give up essentially our commitment to our individual sovereignty and throw ourselves into this new moral being, which is... Uh, this, the, the civil society. The communitarians are making a much more, they have a much more modest ask. Though it's not modest in this sense. It's not modest because uh, it essentially obliterates this, the main limit on the actions and goals of the democratic constituted community. And then that raises the question like, okay, well, what is permissible? Um, how do we decide what are the limits on, on community power over individual decisions? Now, the answer I think that communitarians give is, well, much like the uh, uncertainty of where the harm principle boundary is, so that we actually have to have a conversation through a democratic system about what is and is not harmful to others and what is and is not just purely our own concern, that the same thing is true of how far should community power extend. Um, that by granting additional goals and actions to a democratically constituted community, we don't obliterate all limits. We make that limit or that balance part of the discussion. And a big part of this is that we have a deliberative, deliberative a, see, community deliberation on the power and extent of the community itself. So, Additional to discussing and debating and arguing about and eventually having to decide through the democratic system where the harm principle boundary is, we're also going to be debating and discussing how far the power of the community should go. So, for example, in a community school system, a public school system that is financed through uh, public taxation and forced taxation, um, and we can recognize that the primary liberal argument for that is that uh, education is one of the essential resources needed for the exercise of liberty. It's, the, it's, 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 a, it's a resource that falls on the positive liberty side of the column. So we're going to collectively come together in the name of liberty, in this case, and uh, generate a uh, system of public education that ensures that sovereign individuals can flower, right? That make sure that uh, your ability to exercise your expressive and instrumental rationality and the critical thinking skills and the research and information gathering skills that are necessary to activate and use your instrumental rationality as effectively as possible. We're gonna do that collectively without violating liberal principles. But also, there are some members of that community who want that public school system to do more. And they want that public school system to transmit a set of values and norms and uh, beliefs that go beyond merely cultivating uh, that liberal rationality. They want to, for example, uh, have some kind of religious instruction that's a component of that. Um, and now, in, in the United States, that runs into the problem of the, the First Amendment, which is, you know, prohibits the uh, establishment of 
uh, religion, and it runs into the general liberal notion that the First Amendment is based on this liberal idea that, no, 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 you can't go beyond simply defining and policing the harm principle. And by inculcating some kind of religious uh, um, principle, some kind of religious belief, you are going beyond what is necessary to cultivate and support and create uh, sovereign individuals. The communitarians say, well, why, why is the limit to limited government there? Why can't we open to the community, which is, after all, providing this important resource to individuals, why can't we ask if the community wants to do more? And if there's an active, committed majority that works through the democratic system that is generally used to create and to, police, to define and police the harm principle, why can't we use that same uh, um, set of procedures and institutions to also decide that we want public power to go a little farther, that we want to add a task, an action, and a goal. The public education system is designed to uh, um, cultivate uh, instrumental rationality, critical thinking skills, and information gathering and research skills that are necessary to activate that in instrumental rationality, and we want to promote and uh, um, generate reverence in a set of coll collectively held traditions, one of which is a religious tradition. Um, others which might be not religious, that might be purely cultural traditions, like you know, having respect for uh, the founding fathers and you know, uh, celebrating the 4th of July, which is a national holiday, or celebrating Thanksgiving, um, or whatever, whatever the community values are. Why should we prevent the democratically constituted majority from actually deciding it wants to go a little farther. Um, and I think that, of course, what liberal individuals, what, what liberals would say is that, well, once you're going beyond cultivating individual sovereignty through your public school system, you're now actually undermining individual sovereignty to a certain extent, right? If you teach people critical thinking skills and research uh, and information gathering skills so that they can actually uh, be instrumentally rational, able to pursue their own conception of the good, and, but then you at the same time say, these are the right ways to think about the world, and this is what God wants from you, or this is what uh, our society, these are the right ways of living, this is the primary conception of the good that you should be pursuing, what you're doing is you're doing, you're actually both working towards the individual and then working against the individual, and uh, that fundamentally disrespects our power to decide our own conception of the good. And to get back into this back and forth argument, the communitarians would say, yeah, we are doing that. We are promoting a particular conception of the good that is oriented towards uh, admiring and reverencing and participating in a set of collective uh, values and behaviors. Yes, we are absolutely doing that, but we're also helping to cultivate individual sovereignty. So what we're doing is we're seeking balance. Um, instead of being monomaniacal about cultivating and supporting the uh, individual, uh, the sovereign individual, we're actually making room for both the sovereign individual and the uh, community member. Uh, and again, because it's democracy and not some kind of uh, um, tyranny, and this is an important thing, communitarians are very much committed to kind of low-level, low localized democracy. The democratically constituted community is a really important concept, and deliberation is a really important concept, right? Like actually getting people together not just to vote their private interests, but to discuss this balance uh, of uh, power and the extent of the government, that that actually by itself, like people, according to Wolf, that will draw people. Like you, you, you go to the community meeting or you go to the public forum 
and you debate. And if you're, if you're a committed individualist, you go and you fight for rolling back that kind of thing. There's no reason why the community, the community ideal is going to win every battle. What communitarians want to do is make room for that to actually be a legitimate subject of discussion at all. Um, I'm gonna, now I'm going to read um, from the, uh, let's see, Communitarian Critics of Liberalism, which uh, essentially outlines the communitarian critique of the pure normative standpoint that seems to lurk in liberalism. It's problematic that there's this singular view that the value of individual sovereignty uh, is in fact smuggling in, even though people like Rawls say that they're not doing it, it smuggles in some kind of uh, absolute value um, and, and really doesn't respect diversity. Uh, this article does, I think, a really good job of, of pointing out why it is that communitarians are kind of creating this false uh, dualism that, well, if that doesn't make sense, if the liberals are being hypocritical, essentially, um, or, or contradictory, then the opposite must be true. Then there must be actually uh, um, societal values must really exist. The, this article does a good job of taking apart that dualism um, and essentially asking for a hybrid, a, a room for both of these. Um, this is on page 321 of the, of the article as, as it's paginated itself. Um, we may be able to discover ways in which local communities and democracy can be vitalized without violating individual rights. We can respect the right of free speech by opposing local authorities to ban pornographic bookstores, for example, but still respect the values of community and democratic participation by supporting local democratic efforts to regulate the location and manner in which pornographic bookstores display their wares. Attuned to the dangers of dualism, we can appreciate the way such a stand combines uneasily liberal and communitarian commitments. And I think that that is really what the communitarians are asking for, is not for, for community concerns to win, not for the common good to be the thing that is being pursued monomaniacally, but for this accommodation of both community and individualistic considerations. And that it's important. Democracy is repeated and, and sort of emphasized, and the liberative nature of democracy is emphasized because this is not some kind of communitarian tyranny that's happening. We will see, starting next week when we look at uh, Marxism, that uh, the idea of the tyranny, uh, or the, um, the, uh, the tyranny of the proletariat, not the tyranny of the proletariat, what's the word? Um, dictatorship of the proletariat is unproblematic to Marx and a good chunk of followers of, of Marxism. The dictatorship of the proletariat, the dictatorship of the common good, the dictatorship of whatever group is the sort of uh, styles itself as the carrier of the public interest. In Rousseau, like the, di the dictatorship of whoever it is that knows what the general will is or claims to know what the general will is, that is uh, embraced by certain critics of liberalism, but it's not embraced by communitarians. Communitarians are uh, looking for a less dualistic approach, um, or, and, and what they're doing is acknowledging and th this particular article, I think, does a really good job of acknowledging that um, communitarians could potentially, and I think she argues that Sandel makes this mistake, um, that they could potentially commit the same problem that they're saying liberalism does by actually smuggling a pure normative standpoint into their viewpoint when if the pure normative standpoint is not available to liberals, it sh it's not also available to uh, communitarians. That's why the word uneasily is in there, because everybody kind of has to acknowledge that, yes, my set of concerns, what I want to build into democratic action, 
is not ultimately justifiable. That there's no pure normative standpoint that says the common good is what we should be shooting for, and there's no pure normative standpoint that says individual sovereignty is the thing that we should be protecting at, at, at all costs. That each of these things has a claim on our respect, our reverence, and that they can be, and it's, it can be very difficult to do so, but that it can be, um, they can be balanced. They can, and as with any balance, there's no right balance, right? The, the great thing about a pure normative standpoint is when you say, okay, when uh, liberty is the primary value, and if we can accommodate liberty and equality, or if we can accommodate liberty and collective action, or if we can accommodate liberty and the pursuit of virtue or the pursuit of uh, spirituality, great. But when we can't, liberty wins. Um, that provides us at least with a clear answer when we have conflicts. When you say the task is achieving balance, or the, the, the goal is not deciding which value in any given situation gets to win, that basically leaving it up to the community itself as to, in each particular case, where the uh, balance should fall. Instead of saying, well, liberty always wins or community always wins, it, no, nobody always wins. No value, no faction always wins. Um, that's a lot of work. And I think that one of the, one of the things that communitarians think is compelling uh, about it. And, and when Wolf says that, uh, I have to read it again, um, they will, that people will find themselves drawn to the ideals of community, I think communitarians have this notion that this fight to achieve the balance and the possibility that we'll achieve some kind of balance instead of just one side wins and the other side loses is going to draw people in and that that's enriching and that that makes us more fully human than a society full of atomized uh, liberal individuals. I think that the critique, the pushback on that, is that no, that's actually exhausting and undesirable and human beings are not constituted to want to wade into this kind of uncertain balancing act that uh, communitarians are saying is the thing that we actually have to do. That what we want and deserve is to decide when there's a conflict between two values, one of those values always wins, and therefore we're clear on uh, how to pursue things. We have a set of principles as opposed to a procedure that will say, well, we don't know what the outcome is going to be when these two factions uh, uh, fight it out, when the common good comes up against the, uh, a, a set of sovereign individuals proclaiming that they have certain rights. That's, that's not compelling. That's, that's not going to draw people in. But I think that fundamentally uh, communitarians are saying, no, the only reason why it seems exhausting and the only reason why it seems horrible and terrible is because you have been raised on this liberal idea, and it's, a, it's an impoverished idea, but you've become so used to the poverty of it that you think it's actually the right way uh, to organize society. That limiting the actions of a democratically constituted community to only those that preserve and cultivate individual sovereignty seems inspiring to you, but it really is quite limiting. Uh, and that there's so much more that we want to and can do um, and then, well, why? Make the argument for that. Okay, it's like, okay, uh, it's not exhausting, it's compelling. But what if I say it does sound exhausting? I'm not compelled by it. Oh, well, you're just buying into the premises of the atomized, uh, liberal, uh, individualistic society. Okay, well, show me why that's the case. And then that's where the conception of human nature and the relationship of the individual to society comes in. Communitarians will then say, look, think about how much of what you are 
and how you, even you as an individual think of yourself actually comes from the rich environment in, in, in which you live. Right? This go, go back to the explanation. We have a collectivist, not collectivist as in we're all just ants in a, in a hive, collectivist in the sense of using uh, um, collective concepts to explain our psychology and uh, our sociological outcomes. Look at yourself. And I, I've, I've, used, I've used this example numerous times in the past, the inner monologue. The most individual possession that we have is our inner monologue. It seems to be where our identity, our sovereign uh, individuality, is actually located, is in our inner monologue. That's where we talk through all the stuff. It's where we decide what our conception of the good is, where we make free choices. Um, our inner monologue takes place in a language. Our inner monologue takes place with a set of concepts and values and metaphysical views on the world and presuppositions about the relationship between different kinds of individuals and activities. It happens in a collective creation, a collective intergenerational creation. Um, and not just the language we use, but then the very concepts and categories, even the questions that we ask ourselves are a social creation. So our most fundamentally individual acts are not as individualistic as we've come to think of them or as essentially the liberal philosophy has sold them to us as, right? That we really aren't as separate as we think we are. We have the capacity to make individual choices. We have the capacity for free will. We have the capacity to chuck the conception of the good that was given to us by our family and our community and our culture and our time. We have the capacity to do that. But the only way that we can actually exercise that capacity is with things that we only have because of society and the community and the times that, that, that we live in. So there, there really is so much of what we value about ourselves that we, that we owe to others. Um, and that the interpersonal nature of values is something that we can't escape, right? The, the reason we're even talking about liberty is because the idea of the sovereign individual is an interpersonal value. It's something that, that you didn't make up yourself. It comes to you through a political discourse that you know, uh, originates uh, in the Enlightenment. And the idea of individual liberty is much older than that, but as becoming a dominant uh, idea in a society, it originates in the Enlightenment. That a liberal individual is actually a socially constituted being. It's an identity, like any identity, uh, that comes to us through uh, the interplay of, uh, uh, of societal norms and societal influences. We, our individualism works through our psychology, and our psychology is essentially our evolutionary heritage. Uh, and if nothing else, we have to recognize that the commonality that our evolutionary heritage gives us means that there's a basis for believing that we really do have some kind of common good. The fact that we can even connect and communicate with each other at all. So, it's actually the, the, the conception of self that liberalism gets us to, to buy is too extreme. It's too absolutist. It's, it's not incorrect, but it leaves out. It's not, yeah, right, it's not, it doesn't tell us lies, but it leaves out a, diff, a significant part of the truth. I think that's probably the best way to put it. It doesn't lie to us about what's true about us or what's possible. It just leaves out an awful lot of stuff that's also true. And so we ourselves are, as individuals, are in fact seeking and fighting to, to attain every single day this balance between what I do that's just purely me and how that relates to all of the things that have been bequeathed to me through, through generations and culture and my family and my peers and my coworkers and fellow community members. When I reconceive of my conception of the good, that's not me as an individual exerting my power against society's influence. 
That's me transforming my identity through the medium of so socially constructed concepts and through the medium of the socially constructed language, if nothing else. Um, and that if I change my conception of the good to the one that was, I was born into the family, they say happiness is the primary uh, uh, human uh, goal, pursue happiness. And somehow I undergo a process where I reevaluate that and my new conception of the good is spiritual oneness with all being. That's not me as an individual shucking social influences and becoming uh, an individual thereby. That's me transforming my identity via a set of ideas that come to me, again, also through social influences. So there's no escaping uh, the uh, way in which we are fundamentally socially constituted beings. There's no pure individualist identity that we can find, right? There's not a conception of the good that's some little nugget somewhere in me that I have to discover by ripping away all of the cultural uh, baggage that I have and by ripping away all of the things that have come to me through other people's uh, influences. That we are always, in a way, seeking uh, th this kind of balance between what I am separate from others and how others, in fact, are have an influence on what I am. And so why should we keep that balance, that struggle to achieve that balance, out of our political, social, and economic systems? We shouldn't. Liberalism is, is, is giving us a truncated version of what it means to be a person, and it's then generalizing that truncated version to these uh, broader structures uh, in a way that doesn't acknowledge the ways in which, one, we're really deeply interconnected. Our identities really are a major product of all kinds of influences, um, including evolutionary ones that give us our, our hardwired psychology that we, we don't actually have to give into every psychological impulse, but it really it, it, it defines the struggle, um, that we can also then make more room in our political, social, and economic uh, domains for other goals and actions that go beyond the sovereign individual. So we're not submerging, we're not destroying, we're not tyrannizing the sovereign individual. We're seeking a greater level of balance between our community-oriented, socially constructed sides and our individualistic-oriented, self-constructed sides. Um, it's messy, and it does leave room for the possibility that there's going to be social tyranny, and it does mean that there are going to be cases where people are going to be forced to do things that aren't for their, that aren't for their own good, that aren't for their own interests, um, but that that is actually an inspiring view if you step back from this narrow view of the universe and of the self that liberalism has tried to sell us, and the critics, I think, uh, would say, has very successfully sold Western civilization on this uh, um, misleading, unnecessarily narrow notion of individualism. All right, well, that's the communitarian critique of liberalism. Uh, next week, we're going to move into the uh, Marxist critique of liberalism. So until then, I hope that uh, I hope the universe is treating you very well, uh, and that if you have spiritual longings to be united with all things, that you're getting that. All right, bye.